Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became, how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Jen Miller, Executive Director, League of Women Voters of Ohio. Jen was with us in July of 2020 discussing the November 2020 election in Ohio. And as I recall, it was the 100th anniversary of the uh, League of Women Voters. Welcome, Jen. Thanks so much. Jack, um, one of my favorite actors is Bill Murray and um, played in a lot of good movies, uh, oh, yeah. a lot of funny movies. Right. But uh, uh, one of the funniest is Groundhog Day. You remember that, I'm oh, sure. Tremendous. So no matter what he does, he wakes up and it's the same thing over and over. And I read an article about our redistricting and what our legislatures are doing, and it said it's like Groundhog Day. Uh, this will now be the third time, I think, Jen, that they're in front of the Supreme Court, and it doesn't look like they're going to have these maps right even again. The only difference with Groundhog Day is he got a little smarter each time. <laughs> the legislature doesn't seem to be getting smarter every time. Maybe we can have uh, Jen kind of tell us where are we with the redistricting uh, at this point, because I think something's happening this week, right? <laughs> I hope so. But first, let's have a history lesson. So actually, as of yesterday, Valentine's Day, um, we are 102 years old. So we just keep getting better with age, I hope, anyway. Uh, so yeah, the League of Women Voters of Ohio um, and the National League are 102 now, and we are fiercely nonpartisan. And uh, here in Ohio, we've been working on redistricting since the 70s. Um, and both nationally and in Ohio, we have opposed partisan gerrymandering that favored Republican candidates and also has favored Democratic candidates. And so I point that out um, because I think it's really important to remember that there are unicorns that just care about um, being nonpartisan and putting voters first. And, and, and uh, we're one of those unicorns. I saw, Jen, in the paper, which made me think about you, because you told us that the League of Women Voters is nonpartisan, and the article made it sound like the liberal groups have their own redistricting maps and mentioned the League of Women Voters, and I thought, no, 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 they got that wrong, because you're nonpartisan, right? Right. We do not endorse candidates or parties, um, and actually, my rules are as strong as a state house reporter in terms of contributions and I don't vote in primaries, all those things because um, our North Star um, is is the voter. You don't you personally don't vote I, in primary? Primaries? I pull the issue. I pull an issue ticket. But I again, mm. I want to be beyond reproach. Um, even when we uh, had issue one on the ballot in 2018 and we were so much a part of that for congressional redistricting reform, our uh, voter guide had both the pro and con in there. Now, we, of course, mentioned that we were behind it, but we put in the opposition talking points about why not to vote for it. That's how important it is for us to really put voters first. Um, you know, I think it's really hard for uh, folks who are partisan to understand what it means to be nonpartisan. Um, and the bottom line is this, um, maps that are rigged for one party or candidate harm every voter. And I think that's the thing that 
voters understand or we wouldn't have gotten to, you know, almost 75 percent of the vote approving reforms in 2018. Um, but that's why we're always going to be fighting against partisan gerrymandering, because when a map is rigged to predetermine outcomes, those candidates play to party extremes and big donors. And then once they get in office, they don't really have to listen to us. Um, and the bigger issue, I think, and a lot of people don't really understand, is that the, those caucuses, right? If you have a super majority of one party, um, then they really are collectively immune to the needs of voters across the state. So in in Ohio, um, historically and today, about 54% of the votes go to Republicans. Um, for the last decade, we've had super majorities in our congressional delegation in the Ohio State House. So, um, um, you know, so for example, 75% of congressional seats were going to Republicans, even though they're only getting 54% of the votes. That is because they were rigging those maps for, to predetermine outcomes. And I think you can look at the last decade. It didn't matter if Ohio went to Obama or if Ohio went to Trump. It, the, the congressional delegation stayed exactly the same. That was because the map was mathematically rigged to not give voters choice and and from the league's perspective, while we argue about this in terms of partisan fairness, it hurts every voter. You said something that really caught my ear that I bet would get past most people, but you said the, the super caucuses, the super majority caucuses become immune to what the voters want. That's a powerful thought. It's a powerful thought and it's a frustrating thought. And I think that's where, you know, Ohioans of every stripe are frustrated with the Ohio State House and they're frustrated with Congress. And partisan gerrymandering is right at the core of this because um, once someone gets their seat, they are likely to keep it. And then um, so are all their friends. And so you can really kind of create echo chambers. And again, you can play to partisan interests and big party donors. Um, you know, there's a stat in the last congressional um, map. So the one that we just had, that was the 16 seats. We're going down to 15. Um, Dr. Niven down in the University of Cincinnati did a study that uh, showed that three and a half million Ohioans live closer to a congressional district office that's not held by their congressperson. So the the weird lines, the the sprawling districts, all those weaving and bobbing in and out. It really does. There's so many different ways we can talk about how that messes with our representation, whether it's things like have, like splitting parts of Cleveland and parts of Toledo for the first time and putting them together rather than trying to keep the Toledo economy represented by someone or the Cleveland economy represented by someone and then split among it, you know, is mostly farming communities, which is not economically like either one of those cities. That's one example. Another example could be thinking about Steve Stiver's district during the pandemic, where part of his district is in Appalachia, where there's not you know, a lot of potentially broadband or, or internet access, but then also representing parts of Columbus that probably has some of the best internet access. Um, so how can you do that representation? But the same is true is that if you have to go, to, you could go 10 minutes to the closest congressional office, but that's not your lawmaker. 
and you have to drive an hour, which legitimately happens for a lot of voters to get to yours, you might not actually realize who's on your ballot. And it's not really your fault. Um, We even in the last decade had um, boards of elections putting people in the wrong districts. So here in central Ohio, there were um, it wasn't found out until we had the um, special election for um, Congressional District 12 to find out that there were folks in Grandview and Clintonville areas that had been in the wrong district for the entire decade just because the map was so confusing. Um, I think the heartbreaking thing that we're talking about here, whether it's the state house maps or the congressional maps, is that here we have people from all over the state of Ohio who voted for reform, and both the Ohio Republican Party, the Ohio Democratic Party, nonpartisan groups like mine, we all endorse these reforms. We all compromise to create them. In fact, some of the same players who are now making these maps were part of the negotiations to create these reforms. And what we see is actually more of the same. Most of the process has been behind closed doors. Um, It has not involved the public the way it should. Um, It has Talks have broken down uh, along party lines, and the maps are completely rigged. You know, we still see, you know, uh, if we project, you know, 54% of the votes Mm -hmm. going to Republicans, but significant supermajorities going to, of of the seats going to Republicans. And again, I'm just going to say, if you're a Republican and you are in the state of Ohio, even if you have a lawmaker who is a Republican, this hurts you because they don't have to listen to you because the party knows that they can keep their control of the congressional delegation and the Ohio State House without doing anything to serve you. And this is where we see um, playing to extremes, uh, unfortunately, and a real breakdown in governing. And that's probably the thought that gets overlooked, that even if the party... even if the district favors my party, that doesn't necessarily favor me as a member of that party because I'll get someone who's immune, to use your word, immune from listening to me. They're not immune from their own inner party uh, squabble, so to speak, because as you were saying, that you have play to the extremes. I mean, the only person that somebody like Jim Jordan has to worry about is another Republican primarying him that's more to the right of where he is. And uh, absent that, he'll win time and time again because of the way that his district is gerrymandered. And, uh, you know, he certainly doesn't represent any of the Democrat ideals and probably not many of the moderate ideals in his district. Uh, But before the new maps and in the, in the new process, I always thought that the, uh, the phrase uh, uh, to the victor goes the spoil, so to speak, because the maps were drawn a decade ago by Republicans because Republicans won the statewide offices, right? Yes. And so, you know, there was a mentality that while we won, that means that we get to do what we want because that's the way the law allows us to do it. It might not be fair, but it's legal. What changed then in the last 10 years? And I want to unpack one thing first, which is that when your team has an advantage, of course you want to use that advantage to continue your advantage. This is why this happens by both parties, um, that there is a perverse incentive when politicians are making maps to make to to continue their power or the power of their friends or their party. 
right? Um, so it's just like in basketball. If I had a fancy shoe technology that could make all my players run faster and jump higher, I wouldn't want anyone else to have that fancy shoe technology, right? It's kind of the same thing. It is a perverse incentive to use our power to continue our power. Um, that's why nonpartisan groups matter. That's why an independent judiciary matters. Um, and and so what we're talking about is what's changed. So yes, Ohio has a long history, first of the Democrats rigging maps to favor their candidates. And I do say candidates, not voters, because again, I don't think that these maps ever favor voters. And then the Republican Party uh, drawing maps to favor their candidates. Um, what changed finally in 2015 is we had um, reforms put on the ballot um, that that were then placed in the Constitution by the voters um, that really called for transparency, bipartisanship, public input, um, and just really best practices for creating maps, we hoped. Now, it still kept, um, you know, the, the politicians still had quite a role in this, right? Um, the, the redistricting commission that would make the state house maps are all elected leaders. Um, ideally, the league would not have gone that way. We might have looked at something that's truly an insulated, independent commission. Um, or we would have had stronger um, guardrails around the process. But at the end of the day, we were trying to get the reform to the people and get that passed. Um, and so what we've seen is even though that passed by almost 72 percent of the vote and in all 88 counties from Lake Erie to the Ohio River, um, we saw a broad scale ignoring of those reforms and just business as usual. Let's we're going to do everything behind the scenes. We're going to not really engage the public meaningfully, and we're going to rig these maps for our candidates of preference, um, our party. Um, and so that's gravely unfortunate. And then in 2018, we did the same thing. We worked with Ohio Republicans and Democrats, nonpartisan groups, experts to have reforms that were once again put on the ballot, placed in the Ohio Constitution um, that would that should both put guardrails around the process to make it more fair, but ultimately result in maps that really serve voters. And once again, we see business as usual. The one thing I'll say is these reforms didn't really fail yet because part we kind of expected people to abide by the Constitution and the laws, which we aren't seeing. But part of the reform was the backstop of the Ohio Supreme Court. And, and there you were lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Or you could say lucky, or you could just say that the evidence spoke for itself. <laughs> skeptic, skeptic that I am, I'll say, or cynic even, I'll say lucky, but but happy for it. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. So we brought these cases to the Ohio Supreme Court, um, one against the state house maps and one against the congressional map, um, and that's with partners ACLU Ohio, ACLU National, Covington and Burling. Um, a. Philip Randolph Institute, which is an African-American labor organization and league, as well as individual plaintiffs. And, you know, we had world-class experts that used data to really show how these maps were rigged and how they couldn't just happen that way. You don't just accidentally get to the maps that they adopted. And so um, they were struck down by the Ohio Supreme Court, and now we're in the process of trying to get map makers to make better ones. If I understand, and I don't know if I do, the process, the legislature, which is dominated by Republicans, would would come up with a map 
that that would be voted on. And then how does it get to this uh, seven co- uh, board commission, seven person board commission? What, what's the role of that commission? And is that bipartisan at all? So now the state house maps are only done by that seven commission member board because you don't want to have the state general assembly making their maps like that's definitely too far. Um, But on the congressional maps is what you're talking about. It starts at the general assembly. If they can't get to agreement, then it that that same commission that makes the state house maps could work on the congressional maps. So tell us about that commission then. Yeah. So you have three statewide. office holders. And let's keep in mind in Ohio that the way the governor goes is the way the rest of the statewide races go. So generally, this commission is going to have those statewides are going to be the same party. Right now, those three are all Republican. And then four legislative seats. So um, the Republican um, House and Senate caucus can have representatives. The Democratic House and Senate caucus can have representatives. So you get to a total of seven. Um, the way you get to a 10-year map would be that you um, it can pass with a simple majority, but you need to have the two minority party member, at least two mar- minority party members. So in this case, that would be both Democrats. Um, this is what I can say. Every map that that they seriously considered as a commission was rigged. So we put together our maps that, again, were not developed by political operatives, but instead by academics, cartographers, data experts, political scientists. We submitted those. They didn't. We didn't really even get questions on them. The minority party submitted their maps. They weren't quite taken seriously. Um, there were lots of other groups that submitted maps that uh, were more compact, that did a better job keeping communities whole, would have been far better starting points. Um, and, and some of them were – ours was completely constitutional. Um, it still would have favored um, Republican candidates um, slightly, just like Ohio votes slightly more Republican. So that's one of the things you're looking at is does the seat share of how many, you know, vote um, how many seats would go to Congress generally mirror the number the percent of congressional votes for each party. So one of the things that some like to say is well 100% of the governor's office is held by a Republican now. 100% of the Secretary of State's office is held by a Republican. That's really true. But Governor DeWine didn't ever get 75% of the vote, right? Like even if you look at those statewide vote shares, you're talking about just slightly more than 50%. So to really look at maps, whether it's the state general assembly or congressional, use past voting data and predict how those seats would be given, we're still seeing that what has been adopted are these significant outliers. They're not, you're not seeing that parity. Um, another example I'll just mention is that one of our experts, uh, Dr. Amai, used a supercomputer and produced 5,000 maps, and not one of those maps. And in there in the supercomputer, he put in all of the constitutional requirements. And not one of those maps came out as rigged or or with the kind of seat share um, that was adopted. And those constitutional requirements spoke to how frequently 
you could cut up a, a county or any other type of municipal unit. It was try. It was a purposeful effort to make sure that we're not carving and slicing to favor a party. Right. So I think there's a few things, right? So we need generally um, population equality. It doesn't have to be to the person. Um, that's that's a requirement. There's requirements about compactness, about local splits. So for example, the snake on the lake right now, Marcy Captors, we talked about that earlier, that's got part of Cleveland and part of Toledo. You know, there are towns along the way that are, you know, less than a thousand people that are split into two congressional districts. There's no reason for that. The reason why that happened is because they were zooming into those maps and seeing how people were voting and deciding how to put them in what district. We should be thinking about like towns that are so little they don't have a post office. They're just excited to have a blue mailbox and are getting split, right? There's no reason for that. Um, so some of this was about really trying to honor those local jurisdictional lines, um, because ultimately, again, it's not just about like the party of each, you know, how, how the whole map, you know, performs in terms of if they're, if it's creating an unfair party preference. It's, again, also about the fact is how is a Marcy captor supposed to represent the very di- different needs of Cleveland and Toledo, which are different economically and socially, mm-hmm. But also all the little places in between that are also different from all those. Like it's very hard for a lawmaker when you have these sprawling, funky shaped districts to really represent the people well. When you think about the individual districts, I read something about the uh, fair district um, uh, of Ohio created um, eight Republican map uh, districts and seven Democrat districts. Uh, but they're looking at votes in those districts, right? Yeah, so Fair Districts Ohio is actually the leagues along with Common Cause. Okay, I was going to ask you if you had your own map, and that's part of of that. I guess the article was about the Fair Districts of Ohio. Okay. Yeah, so we have lots of maps, just so you know. But but um, uh, we did a map competition. So we did it ten years ago, and then we did it again this time, where everyday people could make their maps and could suggest them and submit them. And so uh, part of that was to kind of demonstrate that it's actually far easier to make maps that serve voters than it is to rig them for political outcome. Um, Part of it was just to get people excited about mapping. But also we thought that if we submitted these to the map makers, that they might look and see, oh, Looky here, they're always, you know, all, Central Ohio seems to always be linked with Delaware County or, or you know, I'm just making things up right now, but never is parts of Toledo or, or parts of Toledo and parts of Cleveland in the same district. You know, things that we thought would help inform them, you know, how do the people want to be represented? But we as the plaintiffs, those who brought the cases before the Ohio Supreme Court, have actually made and submitted maps that are far more fair and compact. Um, And then the same thing is true for Fair Districts Ohio that is run by League and Common Cause and other partners um, like uh, churches and and various groups. When you dig into the actual districts, though, uh, how do you know it's going to go eight Republican and seven Democrat or or whatever your prediction is? Are, Are they competitive or just not competitive and that we can actually make those predictions. Okay. So the first thing I would say is this concept of competitive is interesting because there's always going to be some districts that stay solidly Republican or solidly Democrat for a decade, right? Just because of the way that we might 
self-segregate ourselves, you know. So, um, but so, so there will be some that don't swing. What you're wanting to look at when you're looking at the entire state is are there some that move back and forth? There should be some that flip. So, you know, two decades ago, the Congressional District 15 used to go back and forth. You know, now it stays solidly Republican, even during a banner Democratic year, as does every other seat state exactly the same. So that's one thing about competitiveness. But how do we predict? How do What's the predictive analysis? Um, what you do is you um, actually they're still looking at the, 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 the voting kind of histories of various areas or communities, but you're not doing it to pick out your voters, kind of like what I talked about, where you might split a town that's 500 people so that you can rig districts. Instead, what you're doing is you're looking at the map, really hopefully just trying to create a map based on those other qualifications, equal population, trying to reduce splits of local jurisdictions, those kinds of things. Then you run that, you look at the past voting history and run that and see how if if those votes were cast the same way, you know, how those seats would go. Is, does that make sense? It's a little no, confusing. It, it does. Yeah. And, and it, it makes sense to me because it should fall roughly on the percentages that we've seen over the last decade. Um, talking about the uh, Supreme Court and the, and the litigation, uh, I read an interesting article, and I don't remember the numbers, but the um, our legislators are also named in the lawsuit. And of course, the taxpayers are paying for their legal fees, right? And they're incredible. You know, God bless the lawyers uh, making money. But uh, your group and the other groups pay your own attorney fees, I assume. Uh, it doesn't seem fair. What uh, can the Supreme Court do at this point? Can it pick a map or can it just keep sending it back and sending it back and hoping you know, that they fix it kind of like, you know, the school funding <laughs> problem that we had for 30 years. So, Which still isn't fixed. <laughs> right. Let me just say this. I'm not going to pontificate. Um, we're, we're in unprecedented area here. This was the first time for these reforms to be put in the Constitution. And so the first time for them to be um, challenged in court and also struck down. But um, I'll say this. I think ultimately, you know, these map makers, the Ohio Redistricting Commission has a mandate by the people of Ohio. They have a constitution to uphold as constitutional officers. And now they have rulings from a, bi a bipartisan ruling from the Ohio Supreme Court. And so it would just be my hope that they would actually put voters first rather than rigging maps for their own kind of short-sighted political interests. I'd like to go back to the first map drawing. Mm -hmm. And the gist I got from the dispatch was there was very little input to the Republicans drawing the map. And it sounded like they were doing it under the cloak of darkness. Mm -hmm. Respond to that. Absolutely. So that last night um, of the deadline for the state house maps, um, we were there until you know, the stroke of midnight, most of the time was spent with the media and advocates and voters sitting and waiting and watching different commissioners talking to each other. Um, 
you know, like, and you'd have a different set that would leave and go to the side room and be trying to have conversations. I think they were trying to get to potentially a negotiation. But what I'll say is this, um, you know, we didn't really get much chance to even present our maps. Um, there wasn't much, you know, even in the hearings, there weren't, the maps weren't even on a big screen where if you had a problem, if you wanted, if a voter wanted to come in and say, I don't understand why you split right here because actually we're one community or we're one this or that or this, right? Um, they couldn't even, they would have to speak about it. They'd have to figure out how to speak about it in prose. Then even the chance to like point at a map and explain why, why they objected or what they wanted to be different. Just things like that. I mean, it really wasn't designed to be transparent or really for a lot of public input, unfortunately. Which what really, I think, reflected badly on the, on the politicians was I know I read that both DeWine and LaRose commented that they didn't like the maps, but they voted for them. <laughs> you know, nobody stood up and said, I'm going to, I'm going to vote no. They went along with the party and then complained. Well, that's sort of a senseless act. Well, I keep watching to see back to this uh, issue of what remedy is available, and and um, yeah, we're we're not um, there's not a lot of precedent here, uh, none in Ohio, uh, as to what the Supreme Court can do. But the court, if it keeps sending it back, um, elections are coming up. You know, we got to move forward with something. Has there been any discussion as to uh, how we get to the primaries if we don't have a constitutionally drawn map? Well, you know, this is one of those things that's really frustrating for us because we actually started highlighting the tight timelines in January of 2021. We started actually talking to the Secretary of State and lawmakers about the idea that we might need to move the primary back over a year ago now. And we continue to do that throughout the fall um, and even recently. And, you know, this is so we are in a little bit of a crisis. It is a crisis of the legislature's making. So in that they, you know, from the other thing we kept asking was for hearings, right? Let's talk mm -hmm. about, let's talk, let's have experts, let's have legal experts come in and talk about the constitution. Let's talk about how we're going to measure partisan fairness, how we're going to index, do political indexing so we have an understanding as to how we think seats might go, how, you know, what software we're going to use, how we're going to set it up so the public can really engage. All of these things could have done been done well before the census. The census data was delayed, but they were not even trying. I mean, they didn't even convene as a commission until after the census data was in hand. Um, and then they had a series of hearings across the state without any maps for anyone to comment on, we filled those hearing rooms. I mean, to the point that um, there were people sitting on the floor. There were overflow rooms. There one one hearing had to uh, start late because the hearing in, in the town before it was still going. You know, and so uh, the public really, from the very beginning, was showing that that they were engaged and watching, but they were never really given um, the opportunity to to be heard or to really uh, participate meaningfully. And that's really frustrating. And, and, and if you're an Ohio voter, you have the right to be frustrated that first they delayed and made all these excuses and then they kept missing deadlines. And now they've gotten, you know, rulings from the Supreme Court that they're not 
adhering to. And now we're stuck into this kind of spot where we don't have maps, but we have a primary on the books. Um, my preference is that even though I would have preferred that we have been planful and had moved the primary back a long mm -hmm. time ago, because that's easier on voters and boards of elections, but my preference is that we move it now and that we have one primary um, because, and, and we deal with the inconvenience of the stress of moving a primary once for in exchange for districts that hopefully work for every voter in the state for a decade. I often think that uh, politicians are um, emboldened because they think there's not going to be a pushback or a blowback on the voters when they go for re-election. And that's why it's good to hear that there have been um, uh, citizens that are behind this, not just the uh, independent groups, but have you seen a, a real um, uh, outflow of support from ordinary voters, ordinary citizens? Yeah, absolutely. Again, um, every one of those hearing were, you know, and they, here's the other thing about those hearings in the summer for the redistricting commission. They only gave a couple days notice. All of them were during the work day. A lot of times they didn't have decent parking. Um, and yet they were all full. I mean, they had to, they had to change rooms. They had to open overflow rooms. I, I'm telling you, there are people sitting on the floor and these folks came with brilliant testimony that they wrote themselves about why they wanted things to be different or or what was wrong with their districts the last time or what they wanted to see this time. And it was really inspiring. I mean, the League of Women Voters and Common Cause and our Fair Districts Ohio friends had thousands of volunteers last year. But I'm sensing that few, if any, of those people were actually given the time to give their testimony. They te we, Everyone got to testify. Okay. The challenge is that I think that you wonder how much they listened. Oh. Um, and, and let's also be clear that, you know, there was folks who, who self-identified as Democrat or self-identified as Republican or some who never identified their party affiliation. But it was a very diverse group of Ohioans from students to senior citizens to, you know, like academic experts to, you know, uh, you know, folks who have never really made maps before, um, all demographics and, and stripes of Ohioan were there in the room, and it was really inspiring. The uh, census uh, starts this process, I guess, and um, I wonder how uh, confident you are that the census was done correctly, because as I recall, there was a lot of controversy about uh, counting people accurately and when it was going to stop or start. Uh, has there been much discussion during the redistricting that these numbers that we're working with are accurate? Well, here's the thing. They're the best numbers we have. So we could... Of course, there can be concerns about accuracy because it was collected during the pandemic or because of concerns that the information that you that you give to the government could be used in a in a way that folks don't like, which is not a new problem. Um, but I think it has been exacerbated in these very difficult partisan times. Um, but I'll say this. Th there's not better data to have. So, you know, when we make maps, we should use the best data we have. And, and the decennial census is that. And, and, and what I think maybe a lot of people don't know is that's why we have the census, right? Part of that is really to uphold the federal requirement for um, having voting districts that are representative. Um, and so we will always support 
the census and encourage people to participate. And it's our hope that we know that it's the best data we can get. Did we lose a seat the last 10 years and then we lost another seat this time around? Do we, I remember that correctly? We lost several seats last time. We lost three and now we've lost one. And it's not that we didn't grow. It's just that we are not growing at the pace of other states. I know I've read some number of times that the folks defending the current map keep saying, we couldn't have done it any better without violating some of the other constitutional provisions. That is, we would have had to, in their, in their speak, we would have had to chop up counties more. We would have had to split municipal units more. We couldn't have provided a map according to the mandate without doing that. And then they said something to the effect of, with this idea of not favoring a political party, that was aspirational. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've, I've read the statute now, not with, I haven't gone over it with a magnifying glass, but I found the phrase they're talking about, but it doesn't even suggest that it's aspirational not to favor a party. That seems like a mandate. Yeah. So have, have your folks been able to come up with a map that meets, that doesn't unduly favor one party without disregarding the geography mandates? So first off, we had a supercomputer make 5,000 maps that upheld all other aspects of the Constitution and were more proportionally fair. So that is definitely not the case. And then in addition, uh, again, we had um, community map makers do it through our competition. Um, our own experts work together to create and submit maps, both to the redistricting commission and to the courts. There are all kinds of maps out there that uphold the Constitution and get much closer to proportional fairness. I think the point is that you're not going to get – so 54 percent of the votes go Republican, that you're going to have exactly 54 percent of the seats. Um, you know, but – you could pretty easily get to 56, 55, you know, um, 58. And, and, and what we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing are these percentages that are still far, you know, 60 percent plus going to Republicans. Um, so there are lots of options. I mean, even just the fact that for the state house maps, which, you know, the um, Supreme Court knocks down their proposal for Ohio Senate and Ohio House maps. And then instead of looking at any of the other examples that were provided to them as a starting point, they actually started with the maps that were declared unconstitutional as their starting point. That To me, that shows um, kind of a real intent on, on not kind of honoring voters, honoring the Constitution um, or the court's ruling. One of the things that Jack and I saw in the um, uh, in the Supreme Court arguments is this idea that um, the maps are constitutional unless proven beyond a reasonable doubt to be unconstitutional. And I don't know if the decision that came out really addressed that standard, but that is a mighty tough standard, which could explain the motivation of a legislature to draw maps in their favor because meeting that standard is so difficult. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious of how the Supreme Court is looking at it. Okay, so first off, they did actually say in their ruling beyond reasonable doubt. But the second is there are ways to measure and demonstrate partisan gerrymandering or favoring unduly one political party. Bottom line, 
the evidence speaks for itself, you know. So we have, they had their experts and their mathematicians, we had ours. The evidence spoke for itself that these were maps that were rigged and that they, whether it's the supercomputer modeling or it's the, the economist who is, you know, using very sophisticated kind of ratio you know, like calculations, you know, I'm not going to go into that too much. But, you know, there's something called a f- wasted votes, this idea of how many wasted votes each party gets. And it should the vote should be about equal, regardless as to whether you generally vote Republican or Democrat or independent. And what you see is that Democrats are wasting a lot of votes because the maps are rigged. So you pack lots of Democrats in, in some seats so that like while the seat you need to win at 50% plus one vote, but they're winning at like 75%. So you've just wasted 25% of those votes um, where other ones are, they're cracking them. So they are, you know, that's that whole concept of splitting up communities, you know, like maybe splitting up Linden into three different congressional districts is all about taking a community that mostly would vote for um, the Democrats who are the minority party um, and and making sure that they're so diluted that even if 100% of those residents showed up, it wouldn't um, change their representation. These are things that can be easily measured and proved. And here's what's interesting. If I'm not mistaken, when the two cases about redistricting went before the U.S. Supreme Court, this notion of wasted vote, wasted votes and a lot of statistics to prove it the Supreme Court, in essence, I think said, sorry, this isn't something we rule on. Yeah, so I, so it's, it's really left to Ohio. There's not going to be any federal recourse under whatever constitutional provision people thought might have existed. Yeah. So I think this is interesting. And what you may remember, some of your listeners will remember, is that we had our own case. So the same legal team that is fighting right now before the Ohio Supreme Court um, and the plaintiffs league and A. Philip Randolph and individuals actually took a case in 2018 against the congressional map. And we had a three-judge federal panel that was Republican and Democrat. And they ruled unanimously that all of our 16 congressional districts of last decade were unconstitutional. And they used those measurements. Um, and it was really that the U.S. Supreme Court, we, we were the state appealed. And so we were kind of waiting in the queue um, as the U.S. Supreme Court considered two other cases, one of which, by the way, was about uh, favoring Democrats. One was about a plan that favored Republicans, um, which, again, goes to the point that everybody seems to do it. I think those and were the cases in Wisconsin and I think Virginia. North Carolina. North Carolina, forgive and, me. Um, and basically, they just kind of said, yeah, it's a problem, but the courts don't have a role to play here. And I think that's really interesting because gerrymandering begets gerrymandering. You know, the maps that we have this decade are based on the maps, you know, that they tried to adopt are based on the maps that happened last decade and so on and so forth. And the more that a party gets political power by rigging maps, the more power they can continue to have. And so this idea from the U.S. Supreme Court that voters could just vote their way out of it is really faulty thinking. Sometimes I think about the the cases where we have our experts come in and everybody's using data, but everybody seems to have their own data. And uh, I always make the same argument to the uh, jury. Garbage in is garbage out. And um, I was pretty impressed that our justices on our Supreme Court were digging down into 
what are these experts actually saying and what are they looking at? I, I thought that's the way to reach the, uh, the right uh, decision here. Um, so back to, I guess, one of my earlier questions. Uh, what's happening this week and, and what happens as we move forward? Oh, I forgot about that question. <laughs> so there's a deadline this week. So Thursday is the deadline for the redistricting commission to adopt an, another map. So they've been struck down twice from the Ohio Supreme Court. So they have until Thursday to do so. And, you know, the good news, again, is that there are completely constitutional maps that would treat voters fairly and equally across the state that would keep communities whole and that they could just gavel in and adopt. Um, and, and maybe they'll do that. And that, that's me being hopeful that I would love to see that. Um, but in the meantime, we're just going to have to see. Um, if they don't submit a map, I, you know, the parties have the option of objecting. If they submit another map that is an extreme partisan gerrymander, we also ha- once again have the option of objecting. Um, where this all plays out, it is impossible. To, there's not... There is no previous example in Ohio history to look at. So it's hard to know where this all ultimately plays out. But I think that the everyday voter should be making sure that you call the governor and the secretary of state, you know, um, and your lawmakers uh, and just asking for maps that really serve us and not them. Jen, thanks for coming in. Um, it is informative, and your passion is wonderful for this. And I'm glad that you're on the front lines fighting uh, for all of us. And uh, you know, I hope that uh, the lawmakers that are in support or the lawmakers that aren't um, feel the heat at the ballot box when it's time for them to to face the voters. So, uh, thanks again for for joining us. Yeah, no kidding. Your group really provides a, a vital service to Ohio. So we're lucky to have you. Thank you so much. We'll be back in a few weeks with another important legal or social justice issue, and we hope that you join us so that it's not just us, but all of us seeking justice. Our thanks to WOSU and our sound engineer, Eric French. Until then, so long.